Hey guys, we're so excited to share this message with you on the Center Set podcast. My name is Ethan and I lead worship here at Center Set. We'd love for you to download our app so that you can keep up with all that is happening in our community. Text Center Set to 77977 to download. Okay, cool. This is great. Um, I'm not really a preacher, I'm a teacher, um, so I'm a bit more conversational, so I'm sorry if that just disappoints you. But it is what it is, baby. Great to be here. Uh, this is my first time in um, this area. The, uh, my first time preaching up here, so this is fantastic. Thanks for having me. I'm Canadian. I know. Um, I'm, I'm married to an Australian. Her name is Jasmine, kind of like Jasmine, but with a J. And uh, she is not here with me right now. She's actually home in Australia, but. Um, I brought this young man with me. Chris, why don't you stand up and just wave? He's so good looking. Look at him. He's, people look at me, they're like, you're not coming in here. They look at Chris and like, okay, come in here. <laughs> so um, Chris is my, uh, he's my entry point <laughs> into civilization. Um, Chris is, um, he's a brilliant scholar in his own right. Um, he's authored like four books and he is the dean of our seminary. And um, he just, I asked him, hey, would you come with me, uh, you know, to California, or sorry, I live in California, I live in Palm Springs, Um, but would you come to to Palo Alto? And he was like, absolutely, I'd love to come, or San Jose, wherever, where are we actually? (laughs) We're in San Jose? Proper? Do you know the way to San Jose? (laughs) It's one of of my favorite songs, actually. Um, Okay. So, um, so that's, that's the long and the short of it. It's just great to be here, and, um, and this is a really important place to be a Christian because, um, because things that are changing the world are coming from this area of the, of, the, of the earth. So I don't know if you knew that, but where you live is important, and your, your light is important, and um, I'm believing for great things from this church in Jesus' name in the future. Okay. I'm going to, uh, if you're taking notes tonight, uh, the, what, what is God like is the title of my talk. And um, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at a bunch of scripture. Um, but I'm going to just lay out a bit of a sketch uh, of this, and then we're going we're gonna to look at a pile of scripture. And um, if what is God like is, is a boring title, you could put as well, maybe in parenthesis beside it, the spookiest message I've ever heard. Okay, I want to preach the spookiest message that you've ever heard. It's a little scary. It's a little spooky, and um, it's going to be fun. I'm the kind of guy. I, I grew up in church. My dad's a pastor, and you know, during the sermons, I would get the Bible out and I'd read all of the, the you know the crazy, spooky, or naughty portions of Scripture. Do you know what I'm saying? And so I like to continue that tradition now as a 39 year old man. Um, I like to read passages of Scripture that are like that's weird. Um, and um, I have an anointing for it, so we're gonna we're just gonna run with it tonight. Um, this is what I want to do. I want to uh, look at some hard passages of scripture. Number one, we're gonna look at some hard passages of scripture. It's things that are just like that is whack, that's crazy, and I don't know what to think about it. I think the Bible was made to be read out loud um, in church, and so we're gonna read some stuff out loud, um, and we're gonna. Examine it, and then number two, I want to be unafraid of tension in Scripture. Um, 
The, the scriptures are full of tension. There's this, this, this uh, verse in the book of Proverbs. I can't even remember the address. Maybe Proverbs 25. And there, one line is like, rebuke a fool in his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Yeah, that's good. That's a great idea. Absolutely. You see an idiot, you know, rebuke him. Okay? Yeah. And then the next verse, literally the next verse is, don't rebuke a fool in his, don't answer a fool in his folly, um, lest you be just like him. And it's like, which one? <laughs> Thanks a lot, Bible, for, con- you know, for confusing me, right? The scriptures are full of tension. I remember a professor of mine in Bible college said that all truth is in tension. And he likened it to the metaphor of putting up a pup tent. And, you know, you'll get out one side of the tent, you'll get this rope and you'll put it in the ground. And then you'll grab the other side of the rope and you'll put it in the ground. And that tension keeps that structure up. And our theology is sort of, or the, the way that we think about God, because that's what theology is, it's just words or thoughts about God. Um, it needs to have some tension in it because the scriptures are full of tension. And what we tend to do is be dismissive about tension. And we just find this you know, little narrow-minded thing and try to force the Bible to be in our narrow mind. And it doesn't work like the Bible won't work like that. So, um, and it's interesting, I'll be honest with you, like a three-year-old understands some tension in, in life better than some 20-year-old's. You know, like, for example, like, uh, my niece, she's three. Her name's Georgie. I'm going to talk about her a bit tonight. But when Georgie gets spanked, and she gets spanked every now and then because she's pretty naughty, and, um, and she'll get spanked. And, you know, right away, Daddy will be like, hey, I love you, and I don't want you to grow up to be annoying, and that's why I'm spanking you. And she'll, you know, okay, Daddy, I love you. You know, like, she'll understand that Daddy, I was disciplined, and Dad still loves me. It's a tension. It's just a reality. Whereas like 20-year-olds will be like, you know, God never disciplines anybody. He just he loves me because I'm so cute. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like God would never do that. Like, dude, um, yeah, like three-year-olds are, are better at reality than you are. You know what I mean? You, you grew up and you became insane. Um, so we have to be unafraid of tensions in Scripture uh, if we're going to become spiritually mature Christians. Um, and then um, the last thing that I want to do uh, is I want to show when stories in Scripture or narrative can become theology. We're going to look at a bunch of narrative in the Old Testament, some like spooky stories, and then we're going to continue on and look at some, some more spooky stories in the New Testament, and then our stories are going to terminate in clear apostolic teaching. There's some stories in the Bible that you're not supposed to repeat, right? They're... they're they're descriptive. They're not prescriptive. They're not prescribing behavior. They're just describing some whack thing that happened that was horrible. You know what I mean? Like in Cain and Abel, you're not supposed to read that story and go, I should kill my sibling. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I found a scripture verse where I can hit my sibling over the head with a rock and kill him. It's like, no, dude, you didn't. You know what I mean? Like you hearing me? You follow me? Yeah. Okay. So that's what we're going to do tonight. Um, all right, let me just pray for me. I'm going to ask the Lord to help me. Okay, you ready? Yeah. Here we go. God, help me. Amen. Okay. That's <laughs> good. The Pharisees multiply words, okay? <laughs> um, 
All right, let's take a look at our first passage of Scripture, John 4.24. John 4.24, here we are. This is Jesus talking, and he says this, God is spirit, and uh, those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. If we could, let's just leave the Scriptures up, and then I'll tell you to go to the next one. Um, so God is spirit. Like, what does that mean? Does that mean that God is Casper the friendly ghost? Does that, does that mean that God is a disembodied vibe? You know what I mean? God's like a vibe. No, God's not a vibe. God's a person. And throughout scripture, we actually see that God possesses some sort of corporality. You know, like he's not made of the same stuff that you and I are. He's definitely made of some stuff though. Okay. Uh, Wayne Grudem, a theologian, he says this about God, that God is qualitatively other. He's made, he's made of something because when people behold him, he's, there's some stuff to him, Right. But it's not the stuff that you and I are made of. It's some other stuff. Something much more weighty than what you and I are made of. We're the light stuff. He's the heavy stuff. Okay? Um, you and I live in the time-space continuum. We're going to get deep for a second. Okay? We live in the time-space continuum. And the three things that we sort of experience continually is time, space, and matter. Okay? Time, space, and matter. I'm made, I'm made of stuff. We're in space, and we're experiencing time, right? And um, in quantum physics, um, the idea here is that time, space, and matter actually all coexist together. You can't have one without the other. They're like the holy trinity of existential reality. Um, and scientists for the last kind of 70-plus years have been trying to figure out you know, when exactly time, space, and matter came to be together, right? Um, Stephen Hawking called it the Big Bang, right? This, because he was looking at, at the universe and noticed that the universe is expanding, and so he thought, okay, well, it must have had a point where it's smaller than it was, so it must have been a, there must have been a point of origin where the universe just came into being, time, space, and matter all, boom, began, and they called that the Big Bang, Right? You guys familiar with this stuff? Okay. So there was, at one point, there was no time, space, and matter. And then there was a bang, and there's time, space, and matter. And so the question is like, or, or the point here is, you know, Stephen Hawking would say this, whatever created time, space, and matter does not exist in time, space, and matter and is outside of time, space, and matter. You know what I mean? And obviously for us Christians, we, it's not a whatever, it's a whomever. You know, God is, God is the big banger. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Okay, right? Like, God is, we believe, the scriptures teach this, Genesis chapter 1, right? Like, God spoke the world into existence. And God is this intelligent being that is not restricted to time, space, and matter. Is not made of time, space, and matter. Exists on the other side of this, and he's the one that breathed this into, into being. Now, you and I... Live in this time-space continuum, though. And I can't know God unless... Because I can't invade his space. I'm stuck in this... I'm made of this stuff. Same with you. I can't know God unless God invades the time-space continuum and reveals himself. Right? It, it, because you, you, we, can't, we can't go and ask him questions outside of what we're made of. 
And the story of scripture is that this God who created time, everything, steps into what he created and goes, hi, what's up? Hi, I'm me. This is who I am. These are my preferences. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. And we have a a record of God continually doing this and revealing himself to Abraham and revealing himself to Isaac and revealing himself to Jacob and revealing himself to Joseph, revealing himself to all these people. You hear me? It's an incredible, incredible story. And so when Jesus says God is spirit, he's not saying that God is, you know, a vibe. He's saying, no, God is, is he's something else. And those who worship him must worship in spirit, as in a, it's, it's a it's a undeniable spiritual connection to him. Right? It's like, you know, it's it's spiritual. It's it's, it's the impossible in connecting to the impossible, or the psalm says deep calling unto deep. It's like God created me with a spirit, and my spirit connects to his spirit. And I can't explain it, but the undeniable always trumps the unexplainable. And I experience God, and we have these spiritual experiences, and spiritual experiences are important, um, but it doesn't just end there. Um, God wants us to worship in spirit and in truth. God wants to be worshipped accurately. Right? Now, I, I, I'll never know everything about God. I'm never going to know everything about him. Right? Like, he's God. He was, he was never... There's no beginning. There's no end. He has no beginning. That's insane. I'm never going to understand that. When I get to heaven, I'm not going to look up at him and go, Oh, I got you figured out. <laughs> Dude, I'm going to have more questions than ever. In heaven, right? I'm gonna be looking at him going, I don't get it, but you're amazing. You hearing me? I can't know God exhaustively, but I can know him accurately. I can't know him exhaustively, but I can know him accurately because he's revealed himself. So God, the Father is looking for worshipers and he's going, Hey, I want you to have a spiritual experience and I want you to feel me and sense me. Um, and you will have an experience of me, but I want you to worship me in spirit and in truth. As in accurately. I want you to worship me accurately. When you think about me, I want you to think accurately about me. When you worship me, I want you to worship me the way that I want you to worship me. You hear me? If you're going to be my people, then I want you to be my people. And I have some things about how my people think and they behave, etc. There's a psalm and uh, David says, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. God cares about how you think about him and what you say about him. You hearing me? Okay. Let's keep moving. Revelations 4. We're going to bring the, begin to narrow this down. The four living creatures, this is a vision of, uh, of heaven. I mean, this is, you know, John sees this and, and he, it's a snapshot, but it's what's happening right now. You got the four living creatures. Each of them has six wings. Are, they're full of eyes all around and within. They're like, and they, they're, you know, they fly around and they just got eyes. It's like a, a flying tree full of owls. <laughs> just looking at stuff. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This is their song. They sing this. They, they fly around the throne room of God. And they just keep on singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy. These are like the closest dudes to God. 
And their ministry is a ministry. To, to, they're, they got all the eyes because they're beholding him. They're looking at him. Right? And the word that they use when they describe God is holy. Not love. Love, love, love. Right? That's, a, that's another band. It's another fab four entirely. This song is holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty. What, what, what is something, what's the word that we can use to describe him? Holy. God is called holy over 400 times in the Bible. Throughout the New Testament. This is, from, this is the New Testament that I'm reading to you. Um, the holiness of God is obviously a, ma- a major theme in the Old Testament. Because it's God introducing himself. Um, Jesus calls the Father, Holy Father. The demons call Jesus the Holy One of God. Like they even know. Um, the third person of the Trinity, his first name is Holy. Should kind of give it away, right? God's holy. It's kind of his thing. The holiness of God's holiness has to do with his absolute moral perfection. He's perfect in everything that he does. He's not like you and I. He's different. He's absolutely morally perfect and pure. God is called love twice in the Bible. Twice. Called holy over 400 times. You'd think that the order was reversed if you go to into a lot of our churches today. My generation, I'm Gen, uh, I'm a millennial, and Gen Z as well. You'd think that, yeah, the order was reversed. It's like they're reading a different Bible. That the Holy Spirit's called the love spirit. Love spirit is not the Holy Spirit. Love spirit is some dude who went to like a music festival. You know, he's painted all, you know what I mean? That, you know that dude? always doing drugs that's love spirit the Holy Spirit's a different dude right but in our songs in our emphases it's like we're obsessed with love I think it's sort of become a cult and what we do is we never talk about the holiness of God never right our emphasis and you'd think that the order was reversed you'd think that the Bible God is called love over 400 times and and the Holy Spirit's called the love spirit and holiness is just talked God's holiness is talked about twice you hear me but but that's not true I'm not trying to say that God's not love because he is let's look at this next passage of scripture and it's this is the same it's actually in the same passage well I'll just see the one part but anyone who's not love does not know God because God is love absolutely and Christians should be known for their love and and love is the greatest gift, and, and now by faith, hope, love, the greatest of these is love, a thousand percent. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for the ungodly. God loves me, and he, got, he loves you, a thousand percent. Um, but there seems to be an imbalance in our theology at times. There's no tension there. You know, God is love, and anything that, that would go against our preconceived, sometimes unbiblical notion of love gets torn out of scripture. Where we end up with like the Thomas Jefferson Bible. You know, he didn't believe in miracles and so he just tore, you know, and if you do that, you're basically left with the book of Esther and maps. 
right? <laughs> that's, 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 all, that's all you got left if you don't believe that God is holy or that he cares about his holiness. God's love, in fact, it flows from his holiness. Right? His love is a holy love. He loves because he's holy. God is both holy and he's love. But an essential attribute, when the angels ask, what is God like? He's holy. Something to consider in how we think about God, which, which matters. I, uh, I love psychometrics. I've been talking about them all day today with some friends. Um, my brother thinks that the Enneagram is from the devil, but I like the Enneagram. Um, I like my, anybody ever done like a Myers-Briggs assessment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, I like those ones. Um, I love uh, strength finders and, and um, I love all that stuff. I like going on Facebook and finding out which Disney princess I am, you know. I love that stuff. You know, oh my gosh, Jasmine, <laughs> who knew? Um, <laughs> um, I love that stuff. I like, I believe in, you know, Jungian uh, types and, and um, the five stages of childhood wounding. I'm in. I, I totally believe it. I believe that we experience trauma and that our personality and our ego is just us trying to protect ourselves in the world of relationships and people. Um, I'm in. I think that's great stuff. And um, yes, we all have knee jerks, you know, and we have propensities and proclivities towards certain social behavior because of wounds that we have. Um, I'm, I, I believe that stuff, okay? But um, as much as that, might st- that stuff is true, it's not the truth about who you are because you are not your trauma, you are your passion, yeah. Right? Trauma, the traumas that we've experienced are not who you are. Um, it's, it's not necessarily the truth about you. It might be an experience and it, it might have, you know, shaped you, et cetera. But you are your, your passions. The Latin word for passion means um, to suffer. Your passion is, is what you're willing to suffer for. That's who you are. What you're willing to suffer for, that's who you are. Not your pr- protective cocoon, you know. When I look at the cross, I see what God is like. Because it's his passion. Right? It's what he was willing to suffer for. Um, number one, why did God suffer on the cross? Because his holiness had to be satisfied. He wants relationship with people, but not at the expense of his holiness. That's, I mean, that's the story of the Old Testament. Hey, I want to be close to you. It's going to be beneficial to you. If we're in relationship, you're going to win all your wars, and I'm going to feed you, and I'm not going to put the curses that I did on the Egyptians on you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All the benefits of being in a relationship with God. And, hey, um, just observe some things, because I am holy. Don't come too close. But come close, but not too close. A little bit closer. Okay, that's good. You know what I mean? Just obey some stuff, and you're going to be good. I won't, like, zap you, okay? God wants to be in relationship, but he's holy, and he can't, he can't, be around unholiness, okay? Um, and so God's going, I'm going to fix this. I didn't, I didn't create this problem. Y'all created this problem. But I'm going to fix it. I'm going to take care of the problem, but I cannot violate my, my holiness. My, this is my, 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 um, 
my first principle, uh, my one of my essential att attributes. I think his uh, is essential. The first of the of the essential. The first, um, first among equals. And so what he does is, is he he Jesus dies on the cross, and it's because he loves, right? So at the cross, it's holiness and love. God died for me because he had to satisfy love or holiness, and he died for me because he loved me. It's, it's, it's this paradox. It's this tension. And I, we can't get rid of one for the other. Right? If it's just a focus on, on, on holiness, then it turns into legalism. If it's just a focus on love, then it turns into antinomianism, you know, no law, just licentiousness. Right? What keeps a Christian up doctrinally and really in relationship, a real relationship with a real person is understanding the threshold of holiness and love and allowing us to have a doctrine that is, that is accurate, that, that, that is honoring to the Lord, that when the Lord looks at my thoughts and the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, he goes, that's accurate. You are worshiping me in spirit and in truth. And I can have a relationship with that. The problem, though, hold your applause one second. The problem, though, is that I believe that my generation is putting, is, we're projecting onto God. It's a lot of projection, and ultimately what we're doing is we're just making God in our own image. It's, it's not God that you're worshiping, it's yourself. Well, I could never, you know, worship a God who did this. Oh, that's, oh, you mean like exactly everything that you believe? Right? God's not you. God's God. And if you want to be in, in relationship with him, and you should be, because it's going to benefit you greatly, we need to surrender and go, okay, Lord, I'm, your thoughts are not my thoughts. And your ways are not my ways. But I know that your thoughts and your ways are higher than my thoughts and higher than my ways, and I'm going to surrender to you. I'm going to trust that you as creator know more than I do. That's a good first principle. Right? It's sort of like an epistemological surrendering. God, I don't know everything, and I don't even necessarily know how to know everything, but what I can know is I can know you accurately. And I'm going to surrender to your word. I'm going to trust you. All right, let's look at the spooky stuff. <sighs> Here we go. Genesis 4. This is Genesis 4. Um, first worship service in the Bible. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. So the good stuff, right? Like he prioritized this and he brought something that was really nice. Okay? Cain's kind of like, oh, yeah, just here's something. You know, going through his, here's some lint, you know, <laughs> found in my pocket. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Right, obviously. Because Abel showed up and he's like, I'm in this. Here's something special and I've prioritized it. Well, for me? <sighs> right? You're in this, Abel. You care. Um, but for Cain, his offering, he had no... Why would he? Cain's mailing it in. He doesn't care. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Right? He's sad. <sighs> I didn't get my way. Oh, well, I, I gave him something and he didn't like it. What? My niece, Georgie, is three, um, and her older sister, 
Frankie is six. Francesca, but we call her Frankie because she's naughty. And Georgiana, we call her Georgie because she's naughty too. Um, you can earn those names, you know? Um, so long story short, uh, Frankie is like, Frankie always wears spandex because she's ready to roundhouse kick you in the face. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, she's a very aggressive. She's very, she's a tomboy. She loves to punch, kick. She's always choking Georgie out. Like, you know, <laughs> Georgie's turning blue. Like, um, and Georgie is a girl girl she's the girliest girl ever um, she always wears dresses she will never not wear a dress um, she's obsessed with Disney princesses she, she plays Barbies um, she's always getting her nails done you know like Frankie's like that's disgusting um, so Georgie's always wearing a dress and Georgie's rule for dresses is she, she'll wake up and she will look in the mirror She'll stand sideways, and she'll put a dress on. And she won't wear a dress if it doesn't swirl. It's got to swirl out, like, you know, because she watches Elsa and Anna, and, you know, and there are always things swirl when they move, you know? So, so she looks, and she'll go. <laughs> she always does a little kick at the end. It's hilarious. Every, every time. And she'll swirl, and if it swirls, then she's wearing it. If it doesn't swirl like she needs that swirl that day, then she'll take it off, and she'll put on something else that swirls. I was FaceTiming my mom and my sister earlier uh, this, or the last year, uh, and um, my, uh, my sister and my mom had taken Georgie uh, thrifting to find some, some more dresses. My mom is an amazing seamstress, and so... Uh, they found some dresses that were too big for Georgie, and they, they got it on Georgie, and they, you know, they bunched it up to where mom, mom needs to cut and all that, and, all, and just pins you know, in, the, in the dress, and all the materials all bunched up. And so I'm on FaceTime, and they're going, okay, Georgie, show, show, show Nate, swirl. And she tried to swirl, you know, but it didn't swirl because of all the weight. It was all bunched up, and she started to bawl her eyes out. She's bawling her eyes out. And um, so my mom started freaking out. My mom's like, take it off of her. Take it off of her. Get it off of her quick. And put the other one on. So we tore it off. Put it. As soon as she got her other dress on, she's, the tears went away like that. It was so funny. Um, and that's like, uh, that's, that's Cain here. You know, life didn't swirl. And now he's sad. Um, Georgie doesn't really know me accurately. She doesn't really care to. I give her Krispy Kreme donuts, chocolates. Um, we were at a barbecue. I think Chris was there. This was like Labor Day or something. And um, <laughs> I had a box of Krispy Kreme donuts. I gave her one. And my brother-in-law was like, dude, no more. No more. She's getting too hopped up on that sugar. <laughs> I'm like, OK, it's fine. It's good. It's fine. So Georgie comes up to me. And she's like, I don't need a fucking donut. And I'm like, go out to the pool. Go out to the pool. So I get a donut. I go out, and I'm like, here, eat it. Quick, eat it. She's like, right? Just killing it. And I'm like whispering. She knows. She's whispering. I'm whispering. We know the rules, you know? But I sneak her a donut and, you know, give her a little pound. Are we good? Yeah. You know? We go inside, and we're ready to eat, and we're doing like a little prayer. And it's like a quiet moment. Everybody's standing around. There's like 15 of us or whatever. And then Georgie just you know, says really loud, Uncle Nate, that was the best donut I ever had. 
I'm like, you little narc. Right, like she, she doesn't know, she, I might as well be Willy Wonka to her and she doesn't even protect me. She doesn't want a relationship with me. She just wants donuts. She, Georgie is a, Christ, a Christian Buddhist. She's a Christian Buddhist. She doesn't want a relationship with, with, you know, Christian Buddhists don't want a relationship with God. They just want the stuff. Right, like, yeah, I go to, I have yoga on Saturdays. I have pottery class on Mondays. And I go to church on Sundays. It sort of helps me on my journey. You know, I'm, I'm on a spiritual journey, and, you know, sometimes the messages are really good for me, and I just, I, I have a lot of anxiety. And so when I go to church, I just, I just feel better. No, no, no desire to know God, know his will, or even care about it. It's just, it's, it's your party, and we're all just peripheral. You know what I mean? Particularly God. Just give me, give me the donut. Right? And when life doesn't swirl, then we get sad. Right? And this is what happened with Cain. Cain has no desire to be in relationship with God. And when, and when it doesn't swirl, life doesn't swirl, he bounces. In fact, he doesn't just bounce, he kills his brother. This is hilarious. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, little sad boy? Why is your face fallen? Hmm, Gen Z, if you do well... Will you, if you do well, will you not be accepted? As in, like, you, you show up to this relationship, we're going to be good. It's not really hard. Just bring me something. Show me that your heart's in it. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. As in, you're going to be relegated to your basis instincts, and it's going to dominate you. Its desire is contrary to you. Dude, your, your instincts, are they're going to eat you alive. But you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, after this bomb worship service. Uh, And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Cain's failure at the altar produces death in the field. All right, let's keep going. Next spooky story. This is Nadab and Abihu, these, another pair of brothers. This is their first job, or first day on the job, the sons of Aaron. Um, the blood of ordination is just drying on their, their lobe and their, their right thumb and their, their right toe. And these guys are priests. They've been anointed ceremonially, and there's, there's blood on them ceremonially, and and they take their censer and they put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. Just fire, like something that God hadn't asked for. And there was really strict rules about how to be a priest. And these guys just go, well, we're just going to do, we're on a spiritual journey and we're going to kind of just, I just want to worship. I worship how I like to worship. And I'm going to give God what I think he would like because my kind of God would like this type of incense. I could never worship a God who didn't like my stuff. You know what I mean? This is made of lavender, and my God has to love lavender. Right? It's like, well, you're, it's not Yahweh. It, you, you just created your own God. 
And it didn't work out. He did not command it. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them. And they died because they were Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Crispy little chickens. Right? It's a death at a worship service. It's a worship service. And they just, they presume, they assume, they speculate upon the grace of God. And it doesn't work out. Okay, it gets worse. Let's keep going. It keeps going. Uh, this is David. Man, David is the worship king, dude. Right? He's the one that wrote the Psalms. David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. I mean, that's, that's looking good. Good start. David wants to bring the ark of God to, into Jerusalem. The ark of God is where God dwelled. It's this golden box. It's a beautiful golden box, and it's God's throne room. And David's going, man, I want to bring the ark of God. I want God's presence. I want him to be here. It's going to be awesome. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumble. Let's just leave it right there. Let's back. Yep. Uzzah is a priest, uh, a priest who doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing, doesn't know the Bible. Uh, we know this because Uzzah thought it would be a good idea to place the Ark of God um, on an ox cart with two ox. Now, the reason, it, it, it'd be like the equivalent of taking the Ark of God, which is overlaid in gold. So it's supposed to like be kind of just indicate, hey, this is something special. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's made of gold. I don't know, you know. And putting that in the back of an old Ford F-150 pickup truck. Dude, I wouldn't put a TV that I cared about in the back of a pickup truck. You know what I mean? You have any? You know anybody that's like they're, they're like super? Oh, it's gonna be fine, dude. Yeah, we'll just just bungee her down. No, we're not bungeeing her down. You know, like my nice TV is going to. We're gonna put it in a box. I'm gonna put it in a van or something, right? You know, the, you wouldn't let your wife ride in the back of a pickup truck. <laughs> Never mind. I don't know God, right? So, of course, what happens is the pickup truck pops a flat. And Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the oxen stumbled. You know, and, and, and in, the, in, in the Pentateuch, the first five books, Torah, the first five books of the, of the, which they had, they had this revelation, the first five books of the, the Old Testament, God reveals how he wants to be carried. He's like, hey, I'm God. I'm king. I've made everything. Do you remember me? Yeah, the guy who like set you free from Egypt. Remember you were like slaves and I destroyed them for you. Yeah, so that's me. Okay, so I'm a king. I'm gonna, this little golden box is where I'm going to hang out with y'all. I'd like to be carried. If you take me, to have the priests carry me. Not a big... Use multiple guys. It's like moving a grand piano. It'll be easy. You know what I mean? So that's, but that's how I want to be honored. I'm a king. I, that's, that's my stipulation. So Uzzah obviously skipped that lesson in Bible college. And um, so it stumbles. And so the ark of God, you know, whoop, it's going over. And then Uzzah's like, no. And God's like, no. And, and I was like, no. And so he touches it. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there beside the ark of God. Another death at a worship service. Right? Because Uzzah is just worshiping how he wants to worship. 
And that's not going to work. God wants to be worshipped the way he wants to be worshipped. Oozes on his Christian Buddhist spiritual journey, and it didn't work out well. Okay, let's keep going. So this is a parallel passage here. David summons the priests, Zadok and Abiathar, and the Levites, Uriel, Isaiah, Joel, Shemaiah. It's a whole homeschooler convention there. <laughs> and he said to them, you're the heads of the father's houses of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, you and your brothers, so that you may bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place that I have prepared for it. Because you did not carry it the first time the Lord our God broke out against us. Because we did not seek him according to the rule. As in, like, it, he's God. So find out how he wants to be worshipped and just obey him. It's not, it's not going to be hard. But he has preferences. He's a king. He should be honored. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles, as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. Some of you might be like, oh, that's really harsh. Dude, you wouldn't just take your wife out anywhere, in the, you know, put her in the back of the pickup truck. You know what I mean? Like, when you're married, you do exactly what your wife wants you. Babe, where are we going tonight? We're, we're going to eat Italian. Okay. <laughs> that's what you want. That's what baby's going to get. Should I dress up? Yeah, we're dressing up. Okay. What should I You know what I mean? Like you, in a relationship, you, you show honor. You show respect. You do things together. You don't assume, presume, and speculate. These are, this is really normative stuff. God's not being a jerk here. It's, it's really normative in human relationships. Much more having a relationship with the God of the universe. Let's keep going. It gets worse. This is Uzzah. Um, sorry, this is Uzziah. Uzzah is the guy that died in that worship service, and he touched the box, and we just, we just read. Uzziah was a, a, a king of Judah, um, and he was a great king. Guy was awesome at being a king. But what happened was when he got proud, uh, when he was strong, he, he grew proud to his destruction, this is Uzziah that we read about in the book of Isaiah. Do you remember when Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord? Um, Isaiah had this revelation when this dude died of God. He sees God and, and he sees the Lord high and exalted and the train of his robe fills the temple with glory. The whole earth is filled. And then he hears you know, somebody say, hey, who wants to come and work for God? And Isaiah's like, uh, he hits the deck. And he's like, um, no, not me. I don't want to work for you. I am a man of potty mouth, and I'm living with people who have a potty mouth. I'm unclean. I'm a sinner. You are God. You're holy. You know, Isaiah is showing this self-consciousness about actually who he is. You know what I mean? Like, he, he's, he's, he's aware of the law of God. He's looked into the Bible, and he's one. whoa, I am not God. God is holy. He's pure. He's awesome. He's incredible. I'm looking at him right now. I might die for this. You know, I'm definitely not coming to work for you. And as soon as he admits that, he's like, I'm a man of unclean lips. We're the people of unclean lips. We're potty mouths. An angel from the altar takes a, a, a coal, and he comes down, and he touches uh, Isaiah's lips, and Isaiah's clean. He says, you are clean. And, and, and you know, Isaiah stands up and he's like, okay, I'll, I'll do this. So God cleanses him. 
the moment, in that moment of his confession and that self-consciousness, he's cleansed. He's, he's given life. He's given purpose. But Uzziah, and it's significant that it was when Uzziah died that Isaiah happened, you know, experienced this. Uzziah is, is, a, is a problem. He was unfaithful to the Lord as God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. It's like, dude, did you not read the Bible? It's kind of like your job as a king to have the law of Moses. He could have just read the, the Nadab and Abihu story where they offered strange fire and God was like, that's not going to work. Anyways, this biblically illiterate king, um, Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor and they're going after this guy and they're going, dude, what are you doing? Stay in your lane. It's not for you to burn incense to the Lord. You know, this is not going to be good. Long story short, he resists them, and then God hits this dude with leprosy on his head. Boom. Death at a worship service. He runs out. He's in a hurry to get out because he realizes, oh, dang, I, now I got leprosy. And he, you know, to the day of his death, he, he had leprosy, and he died of leprosy, obviously. Um, why did this happen? Once again, death at a worship service because he's not honoring God and he's got a lot of pride and that's not going to work out. That type, it's, it's dangerous. Now, so far we've read a bunch of Old Testament, right? We're reading the Old Testament and some of us are sitting here and we're going, well, I don't live in the Old Testament. I'm a New Testament Christian. Thank you very much, Nathan. And that's been really nice reading these scary stories. Um, but I live under grace, not law. And I'm on the other side of the cross, and these things don't happen in the New Testament. Well, <laughs> oh, ooh, ooh. Well, I wish that was true, but it's not. So let's read some New Testament deaths at worship services. Here we go. Let's go to Acts chapter 5. You've probably heard this one. Acts chapter 5, there's Ananias and Sapphira. This is a fun, encouraging story. Okay? Um, they sell a piece of property. And the context is the, 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 the first church in Jerusalem. They're raising money because there's people in their church that are really poor because of economic, um, socioeconomic persecution. When you're a Jew and you came to Jesus, it cost you everything. People would stop doing business with you. You'd be kicked out of the temple. Your entire um, uh, social game completely changed. People had not, want nothing to do with you. You had no support system. And so people were selling property that they had and giving it, you know, in laying it at the apostles' feet, you know, it was an act of worship to the Lord. And then the apostles uh, in this time would, you know, use the, the, the money to, to feed all of these Jerusalem saints, okay? So Ananias and his, his wife, they sold a piece of property. Uh, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and, bought only, and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Um... But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Most scholars, in fact, I, I, I believe that throughout church history, people have believed that they were Christians. These are not people who aren't Christians. These are people who are Christians because they're lying to the Holy Spirit. Um, and so what happens is, uh, you know, Peter's like, dude, why'd you, why'd you do this? Why'd you lie to God and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? You know, like... Uh, next, next part. You know, you didn't have to do this while it remained unsold. Did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Um, why is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias has heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear, I mean, I, of course, came upon all who heard of it. 
The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And if we continue to read on, same thing happens with the wife. The wife comes in. Hey, you know, I heard you sold some property. Yeah, yeah, we sold this. You know, okay. And then she falls down and dies. Um, so, it's a worship service. It should make you pee in your pants a little bit. Right? It's like, that's heavy. Hmm. Okay, something to consider. Let's keep reading. Cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood, uh, the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? In this verse here, Paul's setting up the next chapter, 1 Corinthians 11. And he's explaining, hey, like what we're doing here when we take communion is, it's, A, it's a cup of blessing, right? Like when you take communion, it, it's not just like a little mid-service snack, Right, and it's not just oh I'm gonna this is a, this is like an icon that I'm gonna eat to remember something. There's certainly remembrances involved in it, but the purpose of communion is actually to eat and drink blessing into your life, to eat and drink grace into your life, because you need the grace of God to serve God. You need His help. You need His strength. You need His mercy. You need His His forgiveness. You need His power to be who you're called to be so that you can do what you're called to do, right? And it's participation in the blood of Christ. Like, the blood of Christ is the most powerful material in the world, in the universe. It's the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ, by his stripes, were healed, right? The blood is what cleanses you, and it brings healing to you. So it's a participation in this life-giving source, right? Okay. So in 1 Corinthians 11, and just a couple verses earlier, Paul's going to say, you know, when you come together to do church, it's worse. Imagine going to church where literally you felt worse after going. In fact, you just were worse. You're just like, I'm sick. I feel horrible. That was awful. Let's never go back. That was Corinth. They're the worst church in the world. And he says this, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. In the early church, church was sort of arranged like this. They'd have a potluck. At the end of the potluck, they'd take the bread and the wine. The love feast would turn into the Eucharist. And they'd take it and they'd, okay, guys, we're not just here to eat a potluck. Um, as, as much as, you know, Nancy's chili was wonderful. Thank you for delighting us every Sunday. <laughs> Figure out how to cook something else, Nancy. Um, I imagine. Potlucks at my church, were always, there's always chilies. There's like three of them. It's like, you lazy? <laughs> Couldn't do lasagna. Um, so anyways, the end of it, they're like, okay, that's been great. Here's some wine. Here's the bread. And we're going to celebrate Jesus. We're going to remember, and we're going to eat and drink, uh, not the literal blood of Jesus um, or the literal body, but it's the figurative body and the figurative blood and we're gonna, we need his power in our life. We're thankful for the blood that gives us power, the, the body that's broken. And so, Lord, we're thankful for what you accomplished on the cross. And as we eat this, God, we, we're asking you that, that you would, that, you know, that resurrection power would come into our lives right now in Jesus' name, right? And so as they begin to do that, the Holy Spirit, who, who um, mediates the presence of Jesus in the church, would show up. 
And the, the Spirit would show up and they'd begin to manifest these gifts to one another. They'd sing some songs. They'd do some prophecy. And then they'd teach at the very end, okay? And so what's happening, though, here is at the potluck, the rich people who bring all the food, of course, because poor people don't have any food, they would eat all the food and they'd drink all the wine. Let's go back. Uh, one goes hungry. Another gets drunk. This is a church. Can you imagine being at a church where, like, a dude's just hand-buckled on the front row? I mean, like, dude, how many drinks did you? All of it. All of it. Thank you. You know what I mean? Did you taste it? No. Right? One goes hungry, another gets drunk. I love Paul. He's like, what? <laughs> Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Like, as in, you want to go, you know, Super Bowl? Go Super Bowl at home. You know what I mean? Like, you're going like, to drink 24 Bud Light Limes? Do that at home, not at church. You hearing me? All right. And then he says this, Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. <laughs> Let's keep going. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Contextually, um, Paul opens the, this passage, or yeah, this passage in, in 1 Corinthians 11, um, this section in it saying, hey, you know, you're not waiting for one another and you're, you're making it all about yourself. And then he ends it, he books end it with, so therefore wait, wait for one another. What it means to eat of the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner is when you're making church all about yourself. I'll say that one more time, it's really good. What it means to eat of the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner, when you don't care about what the Bible says, you don't care about what you know, the pastor says, you don't care about other people. It's all about you and your spiritual journey. But really, that spiritual journey is just you driving the boat. God really has no say in any of it. It's just, uh, this is my spirituality, and this is a... That's eating of the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner. And it's not a safe thing, because as we'll see... You're eating and drinking judgment on yourself. Let's continue. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. They're still dying at worship services. Are you seeing that? But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. You see, the cup of blessing turns into a cup of judgment. When I, it's, you know, when I'm the one who's going, no, I'm, and I'm stubborn and I'm proud and I'm not surrendering myself to the Lord and finding out how he wants to be worshiped and God, I'm here for you. It's not about me. It's not about me gorging myself and fulfilling all of my needs. No, I'm here to minister to you and minister to other people. And God, I'm here for you. It's about you and yours. It's about him and his. And so God, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just happy to be here. Eating at the table of the Lord doesn't mean that you have sin in your life. We all have sin in our life. Who should eat or take communion? Sinners. People who are messed up. <laughs> right? I need the grace of God. 
How else am I going to overcome sin in my life? I need the favor of God in my life. I need healing. I need every spiritual blessing possible. I'm running to the table of the Lord. But I'm going, God, I'm, I'm a sinner. I need you. There's this beautiful um, moment. Any, any ex-Catholics here? Come on. No? Just three? Okay, great. That's four. Okay, great. Six. Okay, that's good. Better number. I love that point in the Mass where um, um, they're about to do Eucharist at the end of the service, and the, the congregation repeats together, um, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter um, my home. Only say the, the, the word and your servant will be healed. The whole church says it together. It's so good. It's so beautiful. It's, it's such a great um, chiropractic spiritual adjustment. You know what I mean? Like that's the posture that we ought to have. God, I'm, I'm not worthy to be here. I don't, I, don't, I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve to be part of your church. But Lord, just, just say the word. You know, like the bread is the word, right? Just say the word in your spirit. Lord, thank you that you're the, by the bread and the wine, I'm healed. God, thank you that this is mercy. You know, I don't, we don't take communion, we receive it. I just receive, God, your goodness. I'm not worthy. But you've made me worthy by the blood of Jesus. You've welcomed me home. You hearing me? So you show that self-consciousness like Isaiah, and you're cleansed. Eating at the table of the Lord in an unruly manner, once again, you know, oh, I, you know, I do bad things. Yeah, don't we all? Okay, no, <laughs> you're in the right place if, you're, if you need God, right? But he rejects the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, right? He re- in fact, he resists the proud. That's much worse. If we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. So if you just show that self-consciousness, then there's, there, there, there won't be any judgment. Oh, no, no, God loves me, I'm cute. Yeah, he's obsessed with me. I don't really have any sin in my life. I just have some things that I'm working through. No, that's not a sin. No, that's not a sin either. No, this is just who I am and how I am. And God is obsessed with me. God's like a desperate boyfriend. He keeps on sliding into my DMs. And I'm like, calm down. Seriously? Back off a little bit. Give me some space. Now, the, the, the title of my sermon is not Sometimes God Kills People. <laughs> I, I, don't want you, I don't want you to get this wrong. Because <laughs> some of you are like, I'm never coming back to church again. You know, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's not the title. The title is What is God Like? He's Holy. And when we worship in spirit and in truth, and we can, we're just, you know, we're honest. God, I need you. I'm in this. I want to worship you the way that you need to be worshiped. I'm not going to project onto you. Um, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to say things about you that aren't true. I'm going to throw out any bad doctrine that I have. And I'm going to agree with you. God, if I get to something in the Bible that I don't like, I'm going to assume that I'm the one that's wrong and you're the one that's right. Because I'm not you. Your ways are higher than my ways. And so, Lord, if I need to be adjusted, then I will be adjusted. But I submit myself. I surrender myself to you. I'm not going to presume, assume, speculate upon 
your grace and upon who you are. But no, I'm going to agree with your word. And I'm just going to be grateful. I, I, I got one more verse, um, and then we're done. This, uh, this verse is in the book of Hebrews. And, you know, hey, what, are, what's the, what is the posture that we're supposed to take? Therefore, let us be grateful. When we come to church, let's just be grateful for, for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It is given to you, right? By grace you are saved, and not by works, lest you should boast. It's a gift of God. God, thank you for this gift. Lord, thank you that you do love me, and you've brought me near. I'm unholy. You're holy. You've made me holy by faith. I just believe you, Lord. I don't understand you all the time, but I, I trust you and I believe you and I'm grateful to be here, God. I'm not worthy that you should enter my home, only say the word and your servant will be healed and you have said the word and I am healed. Um, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship. Okay, worship him the way that he wants, acceptably, the way that he wants. Don't, you don't get to decide how you worship. Worship him the way he's asked to be worshiped. You don't get to decide how Christianity works or what Christians believe. He does. That's acceptable worship. I will worship you the way you want me to worship you. I will believe you. You want me to believe you, then I'll believe you. You want me to trust you, then I'll trust you. God, if you say this is sin, then it's sin, and I will confess it, and I will work through it, and I need your grace to help me because I keep going back to it. But I'm not going to change my mind about it to try to justify any of my behavior or my, you know, my, my new ideas about what religion should be or whatever it is. No, God, I, all of that is junk, and I'm going to submit to your word. I'm going to, wor- I'm going to worship you acceptably. You hear me? And uh, with reverence and awe. Reverence and awe are like two concepts that are awesome and we need to recover as a church. God, I'm going to worship you with rever- as in like with reverence and awe. Now, why? Why reverence and awe? Because our God is a consuming fire. Right? It's not our God is a marshmallow pillow. He, he says, the author says consuming fire because it's, once again, it's supposed to make you pee a little bit in your pants. <laughs> like, hey, show some respect. Why? Because he's fire. Consuming fire. Ooh. That's, that's, that is the response that is supposed to be evoked here. Yeah, whoa, God is, he is a consuming fire. I'm going to end with this. In Canada, uh, we burn fires all the time. It's, there's nothing to do up there. It's, all, it's, all, it's like freezing cold all the time. And so we'll, people will always be having a bonfire. Hey, we're having a bonfire on Friday night. Hey, we're having a bonfire Saturday night. So you'll go over to the bonfire and it's cold out, you know, and people will be sitting around having beers, marshmallows, hot dogs, whatever, and having a good time. I've never thought to myself, there's fire there. I can't do it. I can't do it. There's fire? There's, you're having a bonfire? Right? Never in my life. When I say bonfire, I'm like, sick. I get excited. Because fire in its right place is amazing. It's life-giving. I never get scared when somebody invites me to church. Why would I get scared? Because I have reverence and awe. I respect fire. I had some friends in high school who did not respect fire. They'd get really drunk, 
And then they'd make the bonfire really, really big, and then they'd, like, jump over it. And then they'd come to school, you know, like, burnt hair, you know, like, <laughs> burns. Like, legit, I remember my friend Nigel fell into a fire. I was like, Nigel, you're an idiot. He's like, it was amazing. <laughs> it's super easy. It's super easy to, to reverence and awe the Lord. This isn't, you know, some of you are going, oh, I'm going to die. No, you're not. You, you, if you reverence the Lord and you honor his word, you tremble at his word, yeah. it's actually a blessing. Yeah. You, know, you just go, yeah, yeah, God, I'm, I'm perfect. He's like, yeah, cool. I'm glad that you know that. Just show some self-consciousness and, just, and, and, and show some reverence and awe towards his word. Don't try to change it. Don't try to corrupt it. Don't try to twist it. Let it be. Lord, your word is your word. I reverence you, and I, I'm, I'm in reverence and awe. You never need to be scared when your heart is in the right place. Um, if your heart's not in the right place and you're not reverencing the Lord, I don't think that he'll accept your worship if, it's, if, if we're being selfish. Now, we've all, we all have moments where we're like that. Nobody's heart is perfect. You know, God is patient and kind and he's merciful and he's, he's long-suffering. He really is. He's so, so patient. Um, and I think that a lot of times our, our, our worship is just, it just bounces off of the wall if we're in that space. But people who are just, God, I just love you and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to worship you. God, God is faithful and he's kind and he's just and he knows what we're made of and he accepts our worship. At times, I think our worship could be rejected. The worst case scenario would be that we experience spiritual death, maybe physical. That's just the Bible. I hope you don't mind me reading the spooky passages tonight. But I want to encourage you. You should never be afraid of church. This is where the life is. It's the cup of blessing and we need it, don't we? Why don't you stand with me? Where's the band at? Are they playing cards in the back again? <laughs> Just vaping? <laughs> vaping is the new rollerblading. <laughs> Why are you doing that? Um, if you're here tonight, if you're here tonight and you're going, hey, I don't, know God. I, I know about him a bit, but I don't think I'm in relationship with him. I want to tell you really quickly, God loves you. He's holy, but he loves you. And he suffered on a cross just to be in relationship with you. That's how passionate he is about you. And when we believe in our heart, we confess with our mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead. When we go, Jesus, I, I trust that you are who you say you are. God so loved the world that he sent his only son to take sin. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He received sin in his body. And he suffered and he died. And sin, sin died with him for all those who believe and receive his sacrifice by faith. You're never going to be able to get yourself right enough for God. That's not how it works. Sometimes we're like, you know, when I really get my life together, then I'm going to, like, go to church and, you know, I'm going to... You're, you're never going to be able to dance hard enough for God. 
you just have to just go, okay, I give up. I just, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to stop striving and I'm just going to receive your mercy. If that's you tonight and you're going, yeah, I, I need God. I'm not sure where I'd go if I, if I died tonight. Life is short. It's one of the things I've learned in COVID. Life is short. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, well, John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And then later in the passage, Jesus says, whoever rejects the son, the condemnation stays on him, or the wrath of God stays on him. And I think that today, if you have any doubt in your mind, like, I don't know where I'd go, and I need Jesus. Maybe there's been some distance between you and God. If you're really, really honest, it's just been some serious distance. We're like, you have not been walking with the Lord. And what you want to do tonight is put a fresh stake in the ground and go, God, I need you. I want to come back to the heart of worship that it's all about you. And uh, I, wanted, I need to surrender my life in a fresh way to you. In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that, to receive Jesus by faith. And what we're going to do is we're just going to pray a prayer together. Um, I'm not going to embarrass you or call you up to the front or make you recite the Ten Commandments. They usually do that. I'm kidding. What we're, doing, we're just, we're just going to pray a prayer. I'm going to say a little bit, and then you repeat after me, and I'm going to walk you through just a, a confession of faith where you just say, Jesus, I need you. Save me. If that's you tonight, and you're going, Nate, I, um, I, I want Jesus. I want Jesus in my life. I need, I need Jesus to save me. I'm a sinner. I, I recognize that. And I need the mercy of God. Just lift your hand and say, that's me. I'd like to pray that prayer. Give it a second. Maybe um, there's a second group of people that I'd like to maybe pray for. You're like, you feel convicted by the Holy Spirit tonight. And maybe there's some, been some places in your heart where you've had some, you, you need to yield to the Lord. It's okay to have our doubts. We all have our doubts. <laughs> we don't don't understand things, but you've been, you've not, not been willing to yield and really to repent. And repentance is agreeing with God, is changing your mind and go, okay, I'm going to agree with you. There's some places in your life where, you know, you're wondering, man, I, I think I have been projecting onto God. I, I think that I've been, in some ways, I've been worshiping a, you know, a God that doesn't exist, like, because this is, this is who he is and, and his word is true. And tonight you need to repent. You need to go, God, I'm, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. It's not about me. It's not about my preferences. It's not about anything else except you. If that's you tonight, 
I'd just like to just lift your hands to the Lord and just say, Lord, that's me. Come on, let's just pray. Father, I thank you tonight that you're patient and you're kind and you're merciful and you're wonderful. And Father, today we just come before you and we just repent and we just say, God, we forgive us for making things about us. God, we're coming back to the heart of worship where it's all about you. And we're sorry for the thing that we've made it when we've made our spiritual walk and spirituality all about us. Holy Spirit, I ask you that you would melt these hard places in our life and that we would surrender to you. God, that we would trust your word. And God, that there would be grace that comes to us in a, in a powerful and fresh way that sets us free to trust you. Lord, where there's been strongholds in our mind, we're just like, no, I reject that. God, that we surrender and we just say, no, Jesus, you're Lord. And I will obey you. And I'm going to agree with you. And if you say that this is an issue, then I agree with you, God. And I believe that there's going to be grace in my life for change. God, I yield to you. You are the way, you're the truth, and you're the life. And Jesus, I, I surrender. I surrender. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope this message impacted you and inspires you to draw closer to Jesus. Subscribe to this podcast and give us a follow on Instagram at Centerset Church to keep up with all that God is doing in our community. Also, we'd love to be in prayer with you. If you have any prayer requests, please send them to info at centerset.church.